Hello, and welcome to the Science in the City podcast, your gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, Tamara Johnson. Science is awesome. This statement is totally true, but it's also pretty abstract. This can actually be a bit of a problem, especially for students considering which goals to pursue and whether or not they want to dedicate themselves to science. It's hard to imagine exactly what you do if you become a scientist. Maybe you're drawn to the thrill of discovery and invention, but most of us don't have a super clear concept of what that actually entails when we're in high school or even in college. Scientists at the American Museum of Natural History are trying to change this with the Science Research Mentoring Program, affectionately nicknamed SHRIMP. Through this program, high school students in New York collaborate in research projects with museum scientists, making important contributions and getting a first-hand experience of what it really means to be a scientist in real life. I recently had the chance to meet with SHRIMP's manager, Dr. Oscar Pineda, and three inspiring students in an education lab at the museum. In this podcast, we'll hear about their experience learning about and doing conservation biology. I'm Arden File. I'm an incoming freshman at Wesleyan University, and I'm interested in studying biology. Um, I'm Maya Drozwicki. I'm going to be a freshman at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and I want to study marine biology. Um, I'm Ines Moraivan, and I'm a homeschooled incoming senior, and um, I'm also thinking about studying in biology. Not exactly sure where, but in biology. Mm -hmm. Great. I am Oscar Pineda. I am the manager of the Science Research Mentoring Program at the American Museum of Natural History. Great. Would you mind saying a few words about the aims and methods of the program? Yes. The program is an opportunity for high school students to come to the museum and do science. Uh, associated with a, with a scientist from the museum and now we started working with some uh, scientists from other institutions outside the museum. The program is open to any high school student living and or registered in the city. The students have to come first to take some courses, preparatory courses that we offer for free in the museum during the academic year, it's after school. And then once the students have taken the courses, then they apply for a research mentorship. And then if the students are accepted, we organized a three-week summer institute to train the students in basic methodologies in research and then we partner the students, two students per mentor and we try to match as much, as much as possible the interest of the students with the mentors and the mentors, the students participate in the research that the mentors are, are doing they collaborate with the, the researcher and they help to develop a small research project through the, the whole academic year also after school and they come twice a week to meet the mentors and work in their, in their projects. And we have projects in all the areas, basically, that we have researched at the museum. So we have life sciences projects, projects related with anthropology, in paleontology, in evolution, systematics, biodiversity, conservation biology. In the physical sciences, we have projects related with astrophysics and earth and planetary sciences. Awesome. I'm going to come back to you in a bit, but could you guys each describe the projects that you've been working on? This is Arden. Sure. Um, I've been working with my mentor, Suzanne Macy, uh, from Fordham University, and uh, she studies bog turtles, which are the smallest uh, freshwater turtle species in North America, and also one of the top 40 endangered uh, freshwater turtle species. So what me and my partner have been doing, we've been doing a natural history study of the turtle species. So we've been looking at their, um, their clutch size, the number of eggs they lay, um, the incubation time and the uh, hatch rates to get a better understanding of the species. This is Maya. Uh, so yeah, Inez and I and Oscar, we worked on a project, the population ecology of 
two species of freshwater turtle, specifically at Black Rock Forest, which is located in upstate New York. And we looked at um, snapping turtles and painted turtles, and we looked at their population demographics and um, genetic diversity. And this is Ines. Well, in addition to that, we were also looking at the prevalence of a specific parasite family known as Apicomplexa, which is known for like containing malaria within people. And um, we were mostly focusing on if it, they, we can identify these parasites within these turtles. And can you? Uh, we haven't found anything yet. That doesn't necessarily mean that they don't exist, but um, so far it, we haven't found them yet. Awesome. What do each of you find interesting about doing this field work and learning these research techniques? Well, I always wanted to do science, and it's given me an opportunity to see how the scientific process is like, to test it, whether I can be a scientist or not. And it's also given me um, like this rushing with herpetology and an understanding of how the scientific process works. I never really, really thought that I wanted to go into conservation science that much, and I realized that I do, because I always thought that conservation science was more like being the activist side, but I feel now that it's even more than that, it's uh, being taking responsibility for our actions and giving back to nature what we've been exploiting from it. And this is Maya again. Um, well, I think this program has really just given me more experience in this field of science because the stuff we're doing, especially in the lab and even on the computer and stuff, can be applied to other areas and other research projects. So in the lab, we are doing some like basic genetic works, and that can be applied to so many other types of projects and just learning those techniques and even writing in paper and working on a presentation, public speaking skills was all really helpful for the future. Arden? Like Maya and Inez said, the program definitely helped me help prepare me for a future in science. Part of the program at the end we design our own scientific poster and put on a, a five minute presentation to our peers and I think that definitely helped me learn how to talk about science and you know, convey the, the message and our results to a wide audience. So as a follow-up question to that, and if anybody else has anything to add to this, please uh, pitch in, but is on the topic of conveying your science to a wide audience, A, was that enjoyable, and B, why do you think it's important to share scientific findings with broad audiences? Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed getting to show the results of our project to friends and family and other scientists, especially because it's something that I've worked on for so long, for the whole year, and it was really nice to see it all come together. And I, I definitely think it is important to share um, results with a wide audience because I think scientific literacy is definitely one of the biggest problems right now. Um, I think being able to share our results and more than that, help people to understand what the results mean especially when it comes to conserving species and conserving our environment, I think that's really the important message to get out. Does anybody want to add anything to that? Well, I also enjoyed the experience of sharing my findings because um, science is a journey and it's like this way of life. And um, sharing your findings with an audience is also a way of sharing this journey of the mind. And I also feel that in addition to that, it's um, a scientist's responsibility to share these findings and to share this knowledge with the people in order that we can together and collectively find solutions to these problems and make the world a uh, better place. Maya? Yeah, it was really nerve-wracking at first, but we practiced a lot and yeah, pretty much like what they said at the end of the year, it felt really great. Just share what we've worked so, so, so hard on, we dedicated so much effort to.
and yeah, it's important to share results because everybody thinks differently and new questions will be raised. Like I remember during our presentation, someone, someone asked us a question that I didn't even think of before and it was really cool because new ideas and new projects can be formed from that. Terrific. As a teacher, you must be pretty excited to hear your students yes. have this feedback. Yeah, that is, it's, it's quite interesting to see the process of the students and also the process as myself, as a, as a mentor and as a scientist. Because most of the people that participate as mentors in the program, they're young scientists. And for some of them, that's the first experience that they have with a, to mentor for a whole academic year in a concrete project uh, to a student. And that's quite a really formative experience for, for them. I didn't realize when I participated for the first time as a mentor four years ago. But then I, I, I really enjoyed it because it is a quite interesting process. And in, in science, that's one of the main main uh, activities that we have to do, to work with the, with the young students and try to develop the skills and materials. And then the students participate in the project and then they get their own ideas. And it's quite important the contribution of the students into the project. What are the threats facing the different species you all studied? Arden, let's start with you, and then we'll hear from Ines and Maya about the Black Rock Forest Turtles. My mentor studied, uh, had a number of sites in upstate New York, still in pretty populated areas, um, not quite an urban environment. But definitely the, the biggest threat facing the, the species is both the, the pet trade, the illegal pet trade, and um, habitat loss, because even in upstate New York, there's constant development and construction, and the habitats, um, the, the wetlands that the turtles live in, are definitely very threatened. What about for the species you guys were working with? Our turtles were, Black Rock Forest is unique in that it's a natural enclosed preserve. So um, I guess our turtles don't really uh, encounter that much human disruption, unless they migrate. But our populations, like we looked at the population size and they seem to be pretty steady. The Black Rock Forest, they have a database that they've maintained on captures since um, 1995. So we looked at that and it seems like there is a healthy population size in that area. Awesome. Uh, would you like to um, add anything? Well, basically since we were studying this population in a natural preserve, it gives us an idea of like, um, it could be in some sense our control and we can compare this to other locations which could have like more pollution or um, more populated with people and we can compare these and see um, maybe that it's somehow these factors affect the turtle populations. And that's a really good point. This is not my opinion so don't get me wrong at all but if somebody's listening to this and it's just kind of apathetic and they're like I don't care about turtles, how would you guys describe why it matters? This will be Arden again. Bog turtles are actually what's considered an umbrella species which means that um, by protecting and conserving the bog turtles, we're simultaneously uh, preserving the wetlands and the other species that live in the wetlands, um, lots of other endangered species of insects, plants, uh, things like that. So preserving and conserving the turtles is, is really a good effort because it helps the environment and the other species living in it. What do you guys think? And this is Ines again. Well, I think it's a horrible thing to say about like being so empathetic to turtles. Um, when Oscar was introducing this research project to us, he said that um, turtles are some of the most recognizable living forms in the world. And yet at the same time, we don't um, study them that much. And um, this somehow gave me a realization that we're taking all of these species out there for granted. And we're not going into these like elaborate studies to find out more about them. 
And this is very bad because um, everything is interconnected in this world and with us in every way imaginable. If one of these species disappears, an entire branch goes with it. And this can affect us eventually. And it's important to, to do as much research as possible in order to get a better idea of the world around us and to change this world for the better. And now back to Maya. One aspect of our research was the malaria parasite prevalence. So we didn't find any malaria parasites infecting these turtles, but if we did, it could pose a harm to human health, possibly. So I guess maybe people don't realize that turtles can directly impact human beings. Awesome. And now back to Oscar. I know that the research you did when you were a grad student was about the interactions between human populations and wildlife populations. Yes. I was wondering if you could describe that a little bit, mm -hmm. and I was wondering if there are parallels that you can think of in ways that people in New York change their behavior or awareness mm -hmm. to be a little bit more cooperative with the species that aren't yeah. dominant that live here. No, actually, there, there are some similarities between... I did my, my research in... Uh, studying three species of freshwater turtles in the Amazon River and I went to Iquitos that is the largest urban area in the Peruvian Amazonia. So it was in an area, in an urban area and how that urban area affects a large landscape that is tributary to the, to the city because plenty of products that are extracted from the, from the forest and from the, the river, the rivers and the lakes are brought into the, into the city. Uh, in order to uh, for trade and, and to improve the economic situation of all the communities around the, around the, the city, these turtles have been traded and harvested for centuries in the, in the area. Even when the first Europeans arrived into the area, they documented that the local communities already have turtle enclosures and they use them as a food bank, as a protein bank for them. When they, they, it was difficult to get uh, other uh, sources of animal uh, protein, they use the turtles that they, they capture during the nesting season. And these animals have been documented that they nested, some of them, in some areas there were hundreds of thousands of animals nesting in one single sandbar in, uh, in the Amazon area. And if you go there, if you see 10 animals, 15 animals, that's like a big natural show. <laughs> so the populations have really dramatically collapse in this in this area but if you go to the urban areas in the in uh, in amazonia you still see these animals traded so the people there is a tradition a, a cultural tradition of eating and trading these animals there i interacted with some families living in the in the cities that they have uh, in the markets in the traditional markets that have stands and they specialize in trading turtles and they have done it for generations that's there's the cultural component, the anthropological component, there is the economic component because these families sustain their families with the, through the income that they get from the, from the turtle uh, trade. If you analyze where these animals are coming from and how healthy are, the, are their populations, nobody knows. Actually. So what I was trying to do is to try to see, search using genetic analysis if we can get a clue from where the animals are coming from. The animals are not capturing the city or its surroundings. They are coming from really far away areas. And it seems like some animals are coming from protected areas, but there are some genetic information there that I couldn't find in the, in the, in the protected areas that nobody knows where it is located. So this genetic diversity of these turtles is located somewhere in the Amazonia, but nobody knows where exactly it is. And that's, that's quite important. Yeah.
it's really interesting. Yeah. So here in the in in New York, for example, there is trade and there is uh, still people harvesting uh, snapping turtles and they use it as a source of food and it's a traditional way of getting some some sorts of food. Yeah. And um, as Arden mentioned, these animals are also harvested and traded for the pet pet trade. Yeah. But when it comes to more traditional uses and for food, you can't just tell people don't use yeah. this food. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on how in, in both the Amazonia case and here, how can the balance be reached between you know conserving a healthy wildlife population and still respecting the traditions and needs of the people that interact with it? Yeah, that's, that's one of the crucial questions to ask in, in, you know, most of the time in conservation, in conservation biology. Because when you are, when I arrive, for example, in the markets in, in Iquitos, and when you talk with people here that uh, traditionally use turtles for as a source of food, you can make immediately the mistake of judge their activities, and that obviously is going to cause a conflict with the, with the people. But if you arrive in a, more with the curiosity of exploring what is happening there and why it is uh, the the tradition there you start finding some interesting things. And what I found in both cases here and in, in, in Amazonia is that the people is, they are interested to understand also what is happening with their, with their populations, the source of income. And they are obviously want to, to figure out a way of, of uh, finding a sustainable uh, method for exploiting these, these natural populations. So that's quite, quite interesting. And then they start putting also, you start realizing that these animals provide an economic service to the, to the human populations, but also they are linked with other services that are indirect, like uh, Arden mentioned about the, the buck turtles as an umbrella species for protecting the wetlands that are crucial for water uh, restoration here in the city, or as Maya and Ines mentioned about the diseases. Even when the, the parasites related to malaria that in, could infect these turtles are not they're not going to be able to infect us but that can be indication of the, the health conditions of those populations and that could be in, related with our he own health with some parasites that could be affecting other organisms and those can, can, can affect us the cases that we have here in the city with West Nile viruses for example or Lyme disease this is Maya. Can I talk about something not turtle related? Yeah, absolutely. Anything you want. <laughs> okay. So I went to Belize over the summer and I was working on a shark conservation research project and it's really similar to what Oscar was saying. Like we really want to conserve these sharks and it's a touchy subject because you don't want to just invade the region and demand the locals to change their customs and stop fishing the sharks. But if you work with the people and you learn more about their culture and um, you teach, you educate them, especially on the benefits that sharks provide for their ecosystem. They'll want to help, and they, the locals that we worked with in Belize, they really love the sharks, and like they, the fishermen, they really want to help the populations. But then they have a balance because they're fishermen, and they need to fish for sharks to provide for their family. So it's a touchy subject, but I think it's important to educate the people and maybe find alternatives or compromises between the locals and the scientists. It sounds like education went in both directions yeah. too, like you must have learned a ton on the visit. Yeah, um, it, what was really important about the project and the really the project wouldn't have been able to happen without the locals because they know the area better than anybody and they can just go out on a boat and find a spot without using a GPS or anything. So the way they interact with the environment 
helps us to better understand the environment because they know it better than we do. Just for a little bit of background, what was the program that you were participating in that let you go to Belize to do this awesome project? Yeah, it's this organization called Earthwatch. They have a, yeah, they have a bunch of different research projects and you can volunteer on anyone you want. So the project I went on was um, just a shark conservation in Belize and it was led by a scientist centered at Stony Brook, Damian Chapman, and he's just looking at to see whether or not uh, local wildlife preserves, so areas in Belize that uh, ban fishing, if they are more beneficial to shark populations than areas that are heavily fished. And they, um, yeah, they have noticed that areas that protect the sharks, so no fishing is allowed, um, do help the shark populations more. What do you guys think about the question of how um, maybe through education or through any other type of means, how can people be inspired to look for, first of all, and then actually achieve a little bit more of a balance between lifestyles and ecosystems? I guess like with places like the New York Academy of Sciences, just to learn more about what kind of research is going out there and perhaps finding opportunities around the city where you can actually interact and do research with scientists that help out find out um, what's going on, say, with um, glass seals in the waters or um, making sure that the oyster populations that are around in New York City are well sustained. Um, these are very important to know about and it affects us all the time. And then there's also like the everyday ways that we can help the nature by um, don't pollute, making sure that we turn off the lights when we leave the room or making sure that we have reliable energy sources and um, perhaps not using fossil fuels as much is always a good alternative to trying to make a difference in the world. Awesome. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I definitely agree that education is um, the best means of creating this balance and sustaining the, the ecosystems. In the case of bog turtles, um, because they are an endangered species, uh, a lot of the uh, illegal pet trade action, um, while it does need to be stopped, it's not necessarily for cultural reasons. Um, I think probably the, the best reason I could think of is because these turtles are much more of like a luxury item considered because they're so rare and so endangered. And so um, I think both education and just a general awareness that these species are endangered and um, that there are a lot of species that are endangered and uh, trading them in this way is threatening their existence in a very um, serious way. After participating in the program and getting the chance to do field research, have your ideas about what it means to be a conservation biologist changed? Let's hear from Ines, then Maya, then Arden. Since I always loved science, I always try to follow observations that I saw in nature and interact with it. Like I'd always be catching creatures like frogs and salamanders and holding them for a couple of days in these small habitats that I would create for them and then releasing them after observations. And um, I feel like what I gained from shrimp with the field research experience was a uh, something that extended far beyond just doing mere observations. It was seeing how like, the entire process is working of showing concern for these creatures and um, respecting the wildlife as you're going like, through the woods and um, also seeing the different sides of how science is being done in, um, in a nature, natural setting because usually when you think of a scientist you imagine them in a laboratory with pipetting or um, working in, uh, on a computer with, um, lab with documents. And um, it was definitely a wonderful eye-opening experience to see that side of science. Awesome. How about you? 
Uh, yeah, I agree with Inez. I thought the field work was a really great part of shrimp because um, most of the year we're working in the lab and so it was really great to get out in the field and see the natural environment and the turtles and their natural habitat. Um, I think coming from the city I definitely took nature somewhat for granted because I mean, there are trees and grass. Central Park is right here um, and I never really thought much of it or that it really was such a natural environment because it is so much so urban um, but being able to do the field work and uh, I we did field work um, as part of the shrimp program and I also got to go out with my mentor for a day and actually go and see and touch bog turtles and it was a, an amazing experience because you really got to see um, the, your research in real life um, and it definitely made me think a lot more about nature in general and also the, the urban environment and how much um, the, the urban ecosystem really like how how important that is and how much of it is around us all the time that's awesome you guys are all terrific <laughs> um do any of you have anything that you'd like to add well beyond just having this experience in science working with scientists who are um, passionate about what they do as well as able and willing to share their knowledge with us is also a wonderful opportunity that shrimp gives us and um i also feel that like learning from mentors who are scientists. It's not just uh, gaining these skills that you could learn in college, like laboratory and technology. It's also um, critical thinking skills, having a general awareness of the world around you, and um, just in general, living in a way that's responsible towards nature, and also having this eagerness to learn about what's around you, and going through this journey of an exploration that um, goes like within the mind of how everything works is also a wonderful um, side to shrimp. I'm so glad you got that much out of the experience. Uh, what about you guys? Maya? I shrimp was definitely an amazing experience. I have always been interested in science and getting the opportunity to do so such intense research even before I enter college and having that, that experience already has really helped me realize that I really do like science and I really do want to pursue research. Arden? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they pretty much said it. I'm, I guess, in, uh, personally, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with science before I started this program. I just knew it was something I was interested in and it really helped me to learn what the scientific research process was and all the components and now I really know that I want to do research in the future. Anything you'd like to add? Yes, this is uh, one thing that is important to mention about the, the, the program is obviously that they are great. And the, the three students that you interviewed okay. today, yeah, they were quite eloquent. And that can be misgiving because we can, uh, s plenty of students that I hope they still uh, listen to the, the program, they are going to say like, oh, I'm not, I'm not quite good for doing that. I never like sciences. I'm, I'm not uh, the nerdy guy in the, in the classroom. And in fact, what we try to get into to invite the students is students that if you have a curiosity for, for science and you really would like to have an idea what is it, is to come and try it. We have plenty of the students that they are not the smart guys in the in the classes in the in their schools, but in fact what they they figure out is that they didn't find the right environment in their schools. The, the schools didn't nurture their, their curiosity in science, and when they arrive here, they find a much better uh, way to explore and uh, to encourage their curiosity into a really positive, positive way.
If you'd like to learn more about the Science Research Mentoring Program, which I hope you will, email srmp at amnh.org. That's it for this episode. Science in the City thanks the Brotherton Foundation for its generous support of this podcast. For more, visit scienceandthecity.org. You can also follow us on social media. We're Sci and the City on Twitter and Science and the City on Facebook. Thanks for listening.